You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 30 of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, as always, on this Tuesday, Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. What is up, BLG? Stats, I like how we know that the NFL listens to the oddcast because clearly, I mean, they wouldn't have made a trade between the Eagles and the 49ers, sort of, and uh, a special guest that we'll have on today, the Dolphins, uh, if they didn't listen to our show. So it's it's nice to know they listen. You could not have crafted a series of transactions better suited to this show. And it was pretty incredible. And it all happened basically in like a half hour. It was the, this episode came together in pretty much a half hour on Friday. We all know the moves by now. The Dolphins trade with the 49ers. San Francisco's at three. The Dolphins then make a deal with the Eagles. So they eventually wind up at six and the Eagles are at 12. We are going to break all of that down for you from a bunch of different angles. But before we do, we want to remind you, please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. We love your comments, especially when you make fun of RJ singing like some of you have. And just let me say from the bottom of my heart, as someone that hosts a show with him, thank you, and I agree, but please keep them coming. All right, BLG, you mentioned our special guest. And yeah, we're going to break down all the moves that happened. So we need to go to Miami and get an insider. So we have Jake Mendel with us, co-host of the Finsider podcast, covers the Miami Dolphins for us here at SB Nation. What's up, Jake? Hey, guys. How are we doing today? Thanks for having me on. Okay. I feel like there's a lot of different ways to go here with this deal. Um, there's two parts of it because You've got, one, the ability to acquire picks or trade picks, and two, your confidence in your general manager, your head coach, whoever it is, to actually make the picks. The Dolphins now have a massive stockpile of draft picks. They've got two first-rounders this year. They've got two first-rounders in 2023. You are loaded. Scale of 1 to 10, your confidence in your team to turn those picks into really good players. Oh, man, we're talking about a franchise that hasn't won a playoff game in 20 years, so I don't know if I can be too, too confident. I mean, I'm very excited. Uh, don't get me wrong, but we're reaching a point where those picks have to quickly become players. Uh, you know, the rumors or the sayings around this trade is, you know, we're speeding up the rebuild. The Dolphins are, are getting to where they have to be. Well, in theory, yes, but until, you know, the first-round picks of Noah Igbenogany, 30, 30th overall last year, uh, 18th overall, Austin Jackson. Until these guys become cornerstones of the franchise, I'm not sure we can say that we're hitting the home runs yet, but you have to love what they're doing overall. Um, you're maintaining that flexibility for this year and, and two years into the future. Uh, you might be looking a little too far ahead when you're talking about picks in 2023, but you'd rather have them than you don't. 
uh, stats is asking you, Jake, here about confidence in GM and, and all that. I, I want to. I had the first question I've written down on my on my sheet here is, what's the confidence level in Tua going into twenty twenty one? Uh, for the Dolphins, I think it has to be a, a 10, and I think they've said everything publicly. I'm probably sitting where I think he could be the guy. I, I'd love to say that I'm confidently an 8 uh, on that scale, and, and it's really refreshing this uh, generation of the Miami Dolphins, uh, this organization led by Brian Flores and Chris Greer, because what we're seeing with guys like Shaq Lawson and uh, Kyle Van Noy, guys they're trading one year after signing them, is those completely back their guys until they don't. You know, it's not something that builds up over time. There's never any uh, issues that grow into things that, that are larger than they should be. Uh, this is an organization that if you're wearing a Dolphins uniform, you're going to be their guy no matter what. Um, obviously, the Watson rumors, drafting a player, or drafting a quarterback were both rumored. But I think at the end of the day, I think they were planning on sitting with Tua. Uh, I think it's a little too early to start shuffling in and out of quarterbacks when you have this much draft capital to not wait, you know, two, three years, which is a little unique after 10 years of the Ryan Tannehill. Is he going to be good? Is he not going to be good? That was the staple of Miami Dolphins Twitter, Miami Dolphins everything for 10 years was what is Ryan Tannehill. So we don't want to go too far on the other side of the spectrum, but I think they, uh, and I think the fans as well want to see at least two, three years out of them before making any uh, solidified decision. I was not blown away with Tua last year, but I also fully admit I didn't see every snap the guy took. What just quickly give me kind of the things that Tua does well and the areas that he struggled last year? God, it's so it's such a tough situation to be in because you want to defend this guy. Everyone loves him. And his first snap in the NFL was a fumble that the Rams recovered, I believe. And then, uh, you know, you have Justin Herbert going absolutely bananas. So it is a very tough hole that you have to try to defend. But, you know, you just kind of got to look at the fact that Everybody was comparing this guy to Drew Brees. Again, I'm not sitting here saying he's going to be Drew Brees, but just the the ability to see a field uh, is second to none when it comes to talking about Tua. Uh, I think he needs a little more help at the receiving core. I think he needs to be a little more instinctive on his decisions. We know he can do it. It's just not being gun-shy at the NFL level. I think, you know, recovering from the hip surgery, uh, here I go, Ryan Tannehill all over again with excuses, but it, it is what it is where – uh, coming off the hip surgery, he didn't have a full offseason with the team. Uh, Preston Williams was one of his favorite guys his first couple of weeks. He got hurt. Uh, Mike Kosicki missed games. Devontae Parker missed games. So it just was a lot of inconsistencies. I just want to see that routine really happen for a year. And obviously, I'm not saying everyone's going to be healthy. That would be outrageous to think that a football team's going to go through a year without injuries. Uh, but just a little more routine out of him, I think, is going to do a whole lot of good, especially with the signings of Will Fuller. Number six here is looking like a receiver. So th- those are really strong indications that he should really have that swing back year as a sophomore campaign. I want to get to number six, which you just mentioned, but one last thing on Tua slash the quarterback situation for me. Um, so one thing I've been wanting to happen selfishly, maybe because I want him out of the NFC. I'm sure stats wouldn't mind if he left the NFC West. Uh, we've talked about, you know, Russell Wilson getting traded mm-hmm. and I'm guessing it wouldn't be this offseason for the Dolphins. I, I don't know that that makes sense right now at this point. Um, but you're talking about Tua and maybe, you know, giving him a couple of years. What if it's another season where, like, the team is really good around him, but he's kind of just okay or, like, not quite good enough? He's almost like Jimmy Garoppolo, let's say. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like he's fine or, or you're maybe able to win, but, like, you can't get over the hump with him. Is there a point, because the Dolphins have these picks, that, like, they should pivot – 
And is there any interest in a Russell Wilson trade or or another veteran quarterback down the line? Do you think that could come sooner than later if Tua doesn't really uh, like solidify himself here? I think a lot of it really is going to come down to this season. I know that's being very results oriented, but that's kind of the situation we're in, especially when we look at the trade that just or the trades that just happened, uh, specifically the 2022 picks. The Dolphins believe they're going to be better than the 49ers. They did a pick swap there uh, in, in the midst of everything. So say, let's say that the 49ers struggle. Let's say they're a top, they get a top five pick just for the sake of this argument. The Dolphins, let's say they go 10 and six again. They somehow miss the playoffs again at 10 and six. 10 and six break a record for being the team to miss the playoffs at 10 and six for the most times. Um, you really have to have that conversation. And a big part of me is wondering if those two picks in 2023 that the team currently has, I have a feeling they're not going to be using both of those. I have nothing to really base that on, but whether it's for Tua or upgrading the quarterback position, seeing that you have a road that can get you to a upgrade at quarterback, or if it's just using that pick next year to, uh, whatever, move up in the draft, sign more premier players. Uh, there is that little bit of wiggle room that I think the Dolphins will be able to transition from Tua if they have to, but I don't think that's really on, on the track right now for what the Dolphins are playing. So they move down to 12 for about 10 minutes, hmm. and then they move back up to get to six. That leads me to believe that they have a specific person that they want at six, and they're looking at the draft, and they think, you know, the first four picks at least are going to be quarterbacks. So they're like, hey, we can sit at six. Or we're going to have our choice basically of the best non-quarterback in this draft. Who do you think they want at six? When they were sitting at three, I heard a lot of Jamar Chase. I heard a lot, a lot, a lot of Jamar Chase. Uh, but it's a, there, there's a couple things that really stick out to me when it comes to these trades. And first and foremost is why they happening now. You know, when I was writing up the stories about these two trades, uh, we're still a month away from the draft. Why Why do this now? I'm sure if you tried to do this a little closer, I'm not saying draft night because pulling off two trades would be uh, little bananas trying to get that done while drafting players. Uh, but I wonder if there's another move coming. If the Dolphins thought they could get this done, I believe they had three different offers up for that third overall pick. Uh, so you, you wonder that they obviously knew sitting at 12, they weren't going to be able to get one of those guys uh, that they wanted. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the fact they need to start getting players. It would be great to have two first round picks in each of the next four years, but you need to turn those into something other than a, a nice offseason story. Uh, so you, you wonder if there's something else coming from this team. They've really thrown a lot of curveballs so far this offseason. And, and in reality, since Chris Greer has taken over, since Brian Ford has taken over, that's really how it's been, starting with the Laramie Tunsil trade that really began all this. And in, in the even bigger scheme, this really all started with the trade with the Dolphins and Eagles back in 2016 that involved uh, Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell going to the Dolphins for a pick swap. Uh, and Tunsil fell to 13, where the Dolphins were drafting in spot of the Eagles, and the rest was really all history there. All right, so let's say Jamar Chase isn't there at number six because there's like more buzz that he's actually going to go to the Bengals at number mm -hmm. five because Joe Burrow has really been pushing for that. I think Albert Breer said that, and that's that was cited in part of why the Eagles um, moved down is because they thought maybe Jamar Chase wouldn't make it to them at six. So my question for you is like, who, who do you want really, or, or who do Dolphins fans really want at number six there, assuming Chase isn't available? And do you think that player, whoever it is, is really worth trading back up from 12 for, you know, as opposed to like maybe you could have just gotten that guy or maybe there's a similar talent still at 12? Right. You know, if, you, if you're taking Smith at six, then you get Waddle at 12 or you really you're not going to be mad, especially when you look at those picks down the road. 
Uh, but I think it's a sign of urgency from the team. It, it, I, I wish I had a better way to explain this. I always use Madden ratings just because it's easy to get across. Um, I think when you're drafting in that top 10, I think you have a really good chance at hitting a, let's say, a player who's going to come and be an 85 overall right away and really not have those rookie hiccups. But then when you get to, you know, 10 to 20, and even so, of course, you can find someone in any part of the draft who's going to come in and be amazing. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but for the sake of consistency, for the sake of the high percentage shot, I think what you're doing at six is getting your best opportunity to get someone who can come in right away because you can't have someone who's going to need six weeks of the NFL season to get ready. You know, we were just talking about how Tua's clock is ticking. Uh, it's ticking for every quarterback in the NFL, but you can't really make more excuses of, well, you know, it took uh, Jalen Waddle, you know, I'm not saying this can happen. It took him six weeks to really find himself. So we didn't see this full workload. If it was more his fault, if it was Tua's fault, yada, yada, yada. Uh, for me, I if Chase is gone, I think Smith and Pitts, I, I really have them kind of neck and neck right now. Uh, something that really interests me about Pitts is the fact that Mike Kosicki played the third most snaps out of the slot last season, caught the third most balls out of the uh, slot last season. So you can really line these two guys up on the field and have no problem. Even before that, I mean, the Patriots did it for 10 years, having the two tight end system uh, just run run up and down the court field, excuse me. Um, and then the thing that interests me about Smith, you know, the team just signed Will Fuller. I think uh, Smith would be a great combination with him. And Peter King recently said that now that the Dolphins have that sixth spot, they know who's going to be available. They might try to move on from one of the receivers, and Devontae Parker might be that guy. And that kind of made me perk my eyebrows for a minute. But this is a team who is – Roughly $6 million over the cap right now after they sign their draft picks. Uh, trading Devontae Parker will save about $4 billion. And if I put my mad scientist hat on here for a second, the Dolphins have 18th overall pick. Devontae Parker could be the difference of moving back up. Say a Waddle still falls to 12, or, you know, somewhere in that range. I think Devontae Parker could be that deal sweetener that could make you get that jump, especially when you look at Parker having two years left on his contract. $10 million each year. That is not a lot of money for a receiver of his caliber. I love what you said about how, like, it's great to have the picks, but eventually you've got to turn them into players. And I couldn't agree more because I look at the AFC East and I think that they are the only division in the NFL where the arrow is definitely pointing up for every single team in the division. And it's going to be a meat grinder in the AFC. It's like they got to nail these picks because the Jets have a ton of picks. And I think they have a good GM and a good coach. The Patriots reloaded this year. The Bills obviously are really good with Josh Allen. Like Miami can't miss on too many of these because there's competition in the AFC East like we haven't seen in a long time. And it's, it's a little nerve-wracking because before the draft last year, I thought that this could go one of two ways. We could be sitting here about how Chris Greer is the king of Miami. Or you could be sitting here in five years talking about how this excuses, you know, the pandemic, we couldn't get out to see the right guys. And, and that's why we didn't win, not the fact that we just picked the wrong guys. So it is a very tight, tight rope this team is walk, uh, walking right now. Despite having all these chances, there really isn't a lot of room for error, which is a really unique situation to be in. And mostly because, like you said, the AFC East, I mean, you could see uh, the, the Jets might be a year. They could come out and surprise everyone. But there's going to be at least three teams competing uh, at the top of that division. Uh, I mean, I hope. Jake, a lot of Eagles fans listen to this podcast, uh, if you didn't know, because uh, I'm on it, because <laughs> I'm a big deal. Uh, not the setup I was looking for. Anyway, uh, where do you think the realistic range is for next year's first round pick for the Dolphins, the one that they're giving up to the Eagles? Um, like, what, what do you think the floor outcome is, like the worst case scenario realistically, and then best case realistically? 
so there's a joke I always make about the Dolphins. And, you know, I mentioned them not winning a playoff game in so long. I like to call them in the hunt because they're always that team that come, you know, mid-November. They're on that graphic, having a record of like six and seven. It's like they're still in the hunt. They just need to win all their games. These four other teams need to lose. So <laughs> I, I think, you know, worst case for the Dolphins, you're looking at this team just completely falls apart. Uh, the Brian Flores hype completely simmers down. That defense doesn't really have that special sauce it had. The turnovers aren't happening at the alarming rate that they were this year. And that was a top 10 pick. You know, I don't know if they'd be as bad as, as a top five, but if the chips fall the worst way possible, I can see the Dolphins being the seventh, eighth worst team in the NFL. And, you know, then for a four, I'd say it's probably that in the hunt range, somewhere between 10 and 20, probably closer to 15 to 20 is what I'm expecting it to be at. Um, you know, I'd like to say, you know, you got the 32nd pick overall. Sorry, good luck with that. But uh, obviously that's not really going to be the case. So, yeah, I'd say somewhere right around 18 where the Dolphins are picking this year. I, I can't see them being much worse than they were last year. And 10 and 6 is a hard record to improve on. So right around that 18th spot seems about right. Jake, thank you very much for the time. You can hear Jake on the Finsider podcast. He is on Twitter at jmendel94. We appreciate it. Good luck to the Dolphins, and uh, we appreciate you having you on. Oh, oh BLG shaking his head. See, no, not, not good luck to the Dolphins. I need that pick to be good, baby. That is just mean. Hopefully we can do it again soon, Jake. Absolutely. This was fun. Thanks for having me, guys. I don't know about you, BLG, but one of the really interesting things I thought Jake said was that the Dolphins are making a bet that they are going to be better than the 49ers because they traded their own first round pick to the Eagles and kept the 49ers pick. Uh, That is an interesting way to look at it that I hadn't thought of before. Do you agree or do you think that the Eagles said, hey, we think the 49ers are going to be better than you, so give us your pick? I think it's more about the former. I think the team giving up that pick, you can't like be like, well, we might be bad. I don't think you can do that as a team. Like you can't like admit defeat and go into a trade like that. I know I get what you're saying. And I think that's absolutely a funny angle to consider. And I wonder like how that was parsed in conversation with the Eagles and the Dolphins there. But I think it ultimately comes down to like, no, we have faith in ourselves. I mean, you have to, right? Like <laughs> You can't not. Uh, that is funny. Okay, well, speaking of faith, you and I have been talking about this trade since it happened, and I, I'm tr- going to try to boost you up a little bit because you seem a little down to me, and I don't know that you should be, and I just I think, think it's the Eagles fan in you that has sort of been beaten down. So I'm going to try to cheer you up after we take our break, and then we'll get into the 49ers side of things as well. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Off Day Debrief here on the SB Nation NFL Show. Okay, BLG. The Niners, Eagles, and Dolphins have dominated the NFL world over the weekend. And the Eagles, I feel like, are the least talked about part of this. Let me just give you my take on it, and then you can respond. Because I feel like you're down. I feel like you do not care that the Eagles have a ton of draft picks. They have more picks in the 2021 draft than any team. They're going to have probably an extra first-round pick from the Colts, assuming the Carson Wentz thing works out, which I think he'll it'll work out enough for them to get a pick. And... Yes, they have holes on the roster, for sure. 
but they have done exactly what you need to do if you need to rebuild your roster. Like, I don't know what else you wanted from them, but this seems to be a good process, does it not? Well, I want to see the execution because that's the thing. I know, like, it's very easy to say, uh, like, or, or be results based oriented, and I don't strive to be that way. But I mean, like, we need to see the results. Like, having all these picks is great. Jake said it. Stats. Jake said, like, you have to hit on these picks. And guess what? The Eagles haven't really been able to do in recent years. I'm looking at you, Andre Dillard. I'm looking at you, Jalen Rager. Like, now obviously those guys were taken a little later in the first round. But, uh, but yeah, so I need to see the execution before I can really feel amazing about this. Now, look, I like the optionality this creates in terms of you have the picks now, to potential to pivot to a veteran quarterback. Uh, if that, I think the team kind of looks more ready to win than you expect this year. And you're like, okay, we just need that one piece kind of like, or not exactly like, but similar to a Ram situation last year where they just needed Stafford or, and, and maybe they can, the Eagles can get Russell Wilson stats. And you know, I would love that. Or <laughs> maybe it's a pivot to trading up in the draft next year, or let's say hurt Jalen hurts works out and he looks great. Great. Then you have the ammo to build a foundation around him. But again, like until we see that this regime is able to to make good picks, and it's not just about bad luck here, stats. It's not just like the draft is a crapshoot. Uh, the Eagles have been unlucky. No, like the reason they've missed on their first round picks in the past two years, and in big part, is they haven't been able to properly evaluate these guys in terms of like football character. Like Andre Dillard, they think he's soft. Jalen Rager. There's a lot of things going on where, like, I, I just don't know that, like, that guy, like, I, 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 I even a hard time parsing it. Like, he's young. It's his first year. I'm not writing the book on Jalen Rager's career just yet. There's a lot of stuff, like, just sniping at people on social media and, like, and just stuff like that. Like, I just don't know, like, that that guy is, like, a guy you really bet on. As a, as a big winner and like a, a great pro. So those are the kind of things that concern me. That's fair. Like you have to turn the picks into good players and you look at, you know, history as a sign of success and the results are not there as much as you would like. But I mean, if you can't be hopeful now, when are you ever going to be hopeful, BLG? Like everything is set up for the Eagles to rebuild this roster and make a return to contention. We don't know about Jalen Hurts yet. He could be good. We're not sure. They have seemingly now the arsenal to build it up around him. And if you're not going to be all in now, like what what would make you happy as an Eagles fan? Well, I think the onus is on them to to prove everyone wrong. Like this is a regime that's consistently been on a ta- downward trajectory since winning the Super Bowl to their credit. But like I, I think if this was a, a new regime, one that cleaned house in the offseason, like very the argument was here, it was pretty much everywhere. And not just the coaching staff, but with the front office too. I think people would be on board with it. But the fact that we have this front office here that you know it's hard to have faith in, it's a big issue. I mean, like how can you not watch Justin Jefferson go off and look like this amazing player? And DK Metcalf go off and look like this amazing player while you're stuck with, you know, Jalen Rager and JJ Arthega Whiteside. And you're just thinking to yourself, okay, who is the next star that the Eagles aren't going to draft? And I think <laughs> what, what pains people 
about moving down from number six to number 12. And it's possible that the Eagles can get a similar player. And I think that's a positive to the trade. I don't think the gap between six and 12 is gigantic, but the bottom line of it is like the Eagles need blue chip talent stats. Like they don't just need like more good players. They need like stars. They need guys who are like bona fide elite players. They don't have that really on their roster. If they do, you know, it's older guys like a Fletcher Cox, a Jason Kelsey, guys who aren't going to be here for the probably the next title run that they're going to go on if they ever do when they do, hopefully. But uh, I, so I think that's what it comes down to. It's just, there's a lack of, of trust in Howie Roseman and this front office and I don't think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. The There was a report a little while ago that basically Jeffrey Lurie had given marching orders to Nick Sirianni, the new head coach, and said, don't pick a quarterback, make Jalen Hurts successful. That's your priority. And according to Mort, Sirianni basically understood that what the owner wants, the owner gets. Now, the Eagles have since met the media. They tried to downplay all of that, as you would expect. But doesn't this trade sort of tell you that that report was true? It's weird to look at how like Jalen Hurts benefits and doesn't benefit from this trade because I feel like in the short term, he's a winner, right? Like He's locked in. The Eagles aren't drafting a quarterback unless someone somehow unexpectedly fell to 12, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think four going in the top four um, and maybe even more in the top 10, we'll see. So I don't think quarterback is in play anymore there for Jalen Hurts kind of wins in the regard of he will truly be the starter this year unless he gets beat out by Joe Flacco, which, oh my gosh, that would be a nightmare. And I don't think it's going to happen. But I mean, they gave Joe Flacco 3.5 million stats. That's just freaking ridiculous. Anyway, uh, yeah, so Hurts wins in the short term. But I think it comes down to there's a lot of pressure on Jalen Hurts this year. And I don't want to say that you can't evaluate him because I think you can. Uh, but this situation like isn't necessarily ideal when you look at the talent on the roster. I mean, like stats, the Eagles receivers right now are like Greg Ward, Travis Fulgham, Jalen Rager, JJ Ortega Whiteside, Quez Watkins, John Hightower, and like Khalil Tate. Like, okay, that's like nothing. There's like nothing to work with at receiver. And of course, they'll do address that position in the draft and they can still sign someone. But I, I think if Jalen Hurts is really anything less than convincing as a starter next year, then they're going to pivot because I already think they're not totally sold on him. I think it makes sense to give him this year and I want to see him do well and all that. But I think it's going to be a quick hook if he's anything less than like, okay, this guy, we can't move on from him. Let's say, you know, the stars sort of align and let's say Trey Lance happens to be on the board at 12. Do the Eagles, what do they do? Do they take Lance? Do they say, hey, we, because they can say, you know, they've got the built in like, hey, we never imagined that this would happen. This wasn't our plan. We traded down to 12. We were not going quarterback. But when something falls into your lap, you have to take it. Do you think that they would? The Eagles taking a North Dakota State quarterback stats. Is that what you're trying to do to me here? Is that what you're tra- the scenario you're trying to set you up? You think that's part of it, though? You really think that they would say, oh, we can't do it because we had Carson Wentz and he went to North Dakota State and it didn't work out? I would hope not. That's not why I don't like it. I just think Trey Lance is such a like, – how do you evaluate him? He's played 17 games at the FCS level. Like, I, I just don't even know how you, and he's like 20 years old. I just don't even know how you evaluate that player and feel confident. In it. And, I, and I think he's going to be off the board there anyway, so I don't think it's going to happen. I do think, uh, if again, if quarterback fell there that they didn't expect, they would think about it. Sure, they're sending their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, and their quarterback's coach, Brian Johnson, to all these pro days. So they're they're doing their homework on these guys. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I do think, you know, Hertz is the most likely starter this year. I see. I don't know. Like, 
it's weird. I agree because like guys haven't played full seasons and it's hard to evaluate, but I just wonder, you know, like they have, it's, it's easy for them to be able to say, we never expected this, but we had to do it. And then does that buy Howie more time? If he then has a rookie quarterback, I guess it doesn't matter because Hertz is young too. I th- well, I think the trade here is something to consider when you're looking at Howie Roseman's job security. Like, how do you even evaluate? You know what I mean? Like, I think this trade shows he is very much not even close to being on the hot seat because how do you even like evaluate him down the you know, like this trade is going to take some time to bear fruit, like to even evaluate good or bad. And I just think like this kind of move shows you that they're thinking long term, which is good, but also bad in the sense that like this is the guy <laughs> who continues to get to to have all this leash and this rope to uh I mean now I guess there's a scenario where like the Eagles totally just like flame out this year, like really bad. Like they, they become the first team to go oh and seventeen, let's say <laughs> the seventeenth game here. And uh, you know, like all their personnel moves look terrible, and maybe at that point they move on from Howie and you bring in a new GM and it's like, hey, look. We have all these picks to work with. You can really build this thing up. I mean, maybe that happens, but I don't think that's realistic. I think it's it's how he hears this day, and now he has all this ammo, and it's really on him to build the next core. I think that's why, like, like look, there's this, there's this outcome with this trade where they're able to build the next great Eagles era of football, and that's great, but there's also an outcome where we see more of the same. The picks don't end up amounting to, like, anything – and everyone's frustrated and i think it maybe at that point maybe at that point it's like this is how he's do or die it's like all right he hits on it great new era of eagles football we're gonna keep rolling with him and if he doesn't well it's clearly time to move on but he doesn't have to hit on all the picks though right i mean really he has to get the quarterback right honestly i would argue you have to get a quarterback you have to get a pass rusher and you have to get uh a cornerback if you can and probably in that order to be honest with you if he can hit on those, you can build around those. Like he doesn't have to nail every single one of the picks. If he can bat 300, let's say, that's probably good enough, right? Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not trying to be unrealistic here. I mean, obviously, again, just because of the draft being a crapshoot and unpredictable, you're going to have misses. And but I think it's fine if you're missing where, like, let's say the Eagles took Justin Jefferson last year. This this is what I always come back to with that pick. Like everything said about his profile, this is going to be a good NFL player. He's extremely young. He's younger than Jalen Rager. Uh, you know, obviously national champion, r- ridiculous production. He tested well. There was nothing about Justin Jefferson's profile that said this is going to be a bad NFL player or like risky. It was like, at the very least, this guy belongs in the NFL. And I, I don't think I, I think to to be in the Eagles position to say we know better than the consensus, even though we've never drafted a good wide receiver since Howard <laughs> Roseman has been GM. It's true. The, sec- the only player stats the only wide receiver that the eagles drafted to sign to an extension is riley cooper back in 2010 and what? not a good decision (laughs) so i just don't understand how they could have like the hubris to think they know better than the consensus and that's what concerns me about you know the process of making these picks and i think something to consider with howie is uh even if they find the quarterback like you're saying i think that's a big part of all of this like the problem is people still don't have the faith in him to like build a team around that quarterback because we saw it with Carson Wentz like they failed to do that. And now I you know I've I've said here Carson Wentz failed the team too. I don't want to just you know, take all the blame off of him, but it all comes down to that stats. Like there's still a, a, a deep mistrust here in this front office, and that's not going to change until results you know until the results uh, prompted to. So what you're saying is 
they have had this, they've been in this situation before. They had Carson Wentz and they failed to build it up. And so essentially what you're telling me is it all comes down to whether or not Holly Roseman and the, and the Eagles have learned from those mistakes and are willing to admit them and adjust. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made that how he can like build well, like he can take you, like he can take something from nothing and he's really good at trades and value. That's certainly like, so it's not even surprising when he makes this kind of trade. It's not like, oh, wow, how he's turned a corner. It's like, no, this is what he does. This is, this is what he's good at. He's under, good at understanding value. But uh, until we see like him able to actually fix, especially positions of weakness, like corner and wide receiver ones, like, again, they've just never really gotten right, especially, in, I mean, you know, they signed Alshon, they won the Super Bowl, Torrey Smith. But like when you're talking about drafting and developing, they've just never done that at those positions. And now they've done it on the line, so I'm not going to say like they haven't been able to do it anywhere. But uh, yeah, so all this long-winded rambling to go to your to your question that it, it just comes back to being able to do it like and to, to finding that quarterback and actually being able to build this build and sustain this support system around him because that's what they didn't do with Carson Wentz. They they did not sustain the system that was in place. It's it's really interesting to me because. As we sort of pivot to the 49ers here, I'm in the complete opposite spot. Must be nice. Yeah, it is. I'm in the complete opposite spot. Like I have complete faith in the 49ers to get their quarterback. I was I was in my car picking up my son from school, literally in the pickup line. And all of a sudden bloop, on my phone, the Schefter tweet pops up because, of course, I had Schefter on alert this time of year. And I screamed out loud in my car and I was like, this is it. Like we, there is no doubt in my mind. Whoever the Niners pick at quarterback, whether it's Jones or Fields or Lance, like we got our guy now. I have that much faith in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Is that crazy? Uh, it's crazy to me because I don't have trust and faith in <laughs> anyone right now. So, so, so from that perspective, yes. In your perspective, no. I mean, the 49ers have earned you know some benefit of the doubt here. I mean, even when things have gone bad for them, like they did last season, they still did okay. And I like that they're being aggressive. And this is an approach that you wanted to see and you've talked about. Like, And I, we just talked about last week. I was like, anyone but Jimmy, right? And you were <laughs> like, well, not anyone. But, but yes, you need to upgrade. And then I even heard you on the other podcast you do on this network, The Look Ahead, um, with some other hosts. And you were talking about how you just need a new quarterback. Like you're talking about, you know, the top 16 teams, whatever the Super Bowl contenders, and you just need that new quarterback. So, so I want to ask you stats now that you've had more time to digest this trade. Which quarterback is this for? Who do I think it's for? Uh, I think it's for Josh Fields. Uh, Josh Justin Fields. Fields. I'm, I'm making new people up. I'm combining people. No, that's his brother. I think yeah, I think it's for Justin Fields because especially after hearing Kyle Shanahan talk uh, yesterday, he basically said, like, the idea that he wants another Kirk Cousins is ridiculous. He, he, You know how many games he's actually got to coach Kirk Cousins for where Cousins was the starter? Three. But <laughs> that's it. You know, so his point was kind of like, don't lock me into that just because I had this guy for a little while. And I think after the game against the Bills last year where Josh Allen didn't just beat the 49ers. He annihilated them. And they had a good defense last year, even with all the injuries. And he just destroyed them because even when the Niners would win in their pass rush and have good coverage, Allen would move around and make plays. And I think it kind of clicked in Kyle's head that, like, that's what I need. 
as good of a play caller as I am, as good, as open as I can get guys, sometimes stuff just doesn't go the way I draw it up. And I need a guy that can compensate for that. And so that's why I, I don't think it's going to be Mac Jones. I think Kyle wants to have sort of the full complement of tools. And you don't get that if you don't get a guy that has the mobility in his pocket. Yeah, I like Fields a lot. He's one of the guys that I was pretty intrigued by for the Eagles, you know, if he made it there to number six. I think the biggest thing uh, that stands out to me, as we talked about on the podcast here before stats, is the accuracy. And that's something Fields has, like, graded out, especially well pro football focuses. They put a lot of uh, metrics out there about Fields' accuracy. And that seems something you would want to have in a Kyle <laughs> Shanahan – I mean, ideally anywhere, but especially in a Kyle uh, Shanahan system. So, And and you're obviously adding the athleticism element, too, uh, if you're getting him and putting him in there. So I definitely would like that pick for the 49ers. So then you're going, what, uh, Trevor Lawrence at one, Zach Wilson at two, Fields at three. Uh, I'm intrigued by that. I want to ask you those stats. You were talking about, again, on the look ahead, like the 49ers could just be that rookie quarterback away, and then they could go on a run. Like they're built to win now. But I want to push back on that a little bit because I want to hear your thoughts on the realistic ceiling for this team. But I want to couch that by saying since 2010, rookie quarterback stats are two and eight in the playoffs. And the two wins that were that came were over other rookies. So it was TJ (laughs) over Andy Dalton and it was Russell Wilson over RG3. So a rookie had to win. Like they literally had to win. So they're so they're oh and eight against non other rookie quarterbacks Um, and then active quarterbacks, active NFL quarterbacks in their first playoff starts are 12 and 23. So it doesn't always go very well for a quarterback making their first NFL start uh, in the playoffs. Not a big surprise, but just putting the metrics behind it. So with all that said, like, what do you think the realistic ceiling is for the 49ers this year? So, okay. If this all assumes that this kid can actually play, right? I mean, we're we're assuming they're not drafting a stiff. Mm -hmm. Even if the guy is not like, throwing touchdowns all over the place, that he's not Jameis Winston, right? Just assume that the quarterback is not turning the ball over constantly. I think that the ceiling could be a Super Bowl win. Look mm. at last, look at 2019. Here's my, here's my question for you. You saw Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs in 2019, right? Sure. Did he do anything in those playoffs that you don't think a rookie quarterback can do? I mean, but he's an experienced NFL quarterback, and I just read you all the stats about inexperience. He threw eight passes in the NFC Championship game. He threw eight. He didn't complete eight. He mm-hmm. threw eight. A rookie quarterback cannot do that? Well, I mean, that's just not going to happen in the playoffs again, probably. I mean, that's an anomaly. That's It's not going to happen every year. My overall point is that Jimmy Garoppolo did not do anything in 2019 that a rookie quarterback cannot do. That That's just the proof of the matter. The big thing that has crushed the 49ers has been injuries and turnovers. Even last year, if they don't have Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard in there turning the ball over basically at the same rate as Jameis Winston did, they probably make the playoffs. Like, that's the thing that people aren't realizing. You get a rookie in there, and I don't think there's any ceiling on this team because I just think that the roster is built. They brought back, BLG, almost everybody from last year except for Kendrick Bourne and Akello Witherspoon. So they lost their third wide receiver and their third cornerback. Other than that, Everybody's back next year. Stats, no one will ever accuse me of being a homer. In fact, just the opposite and probably claim that I hate the Eagles, which Mm -hmm. 
uh, I, look, I want the Eagles to win, but they, they provided, they give me a lot of misery. So, you know, it's understandable. <laughs> uh, I, I think you're being a homer here stats. I don't think, what are you talking about? This team has no ceiling with a rookie quarterback. I just read you all those quarterback stats. These young quarterbacks aren't going to be able to come in right away. I mean, I think you can make the playoffs. I think that's, yeah, that's totally reasonable. But again, you're still talking about like a tough division and look at the other quarterbacks in your own division. Let's assume Russ stays for the sake of this argument because we don't, because right now he is on the Seahawks. So we're going to assume right. he stays. Uh, Kyler is taking potentially another step forward. I have concerns about him still, but I think he's at least good enough with what they've also added there. To They're certainly going to be in the mix for the division title at the very least. And then you have the Rams, who I think did get an upgrade in Stafford. So you're talking about Super Bowl here. I mean, I, there's no guarantee they even win their own division. They don't need to win their division to win a Super Bowl. Okay. So they're going to get in as a wild card and go on a run with a rookie quarterback? I don't understand. Ben Roethlisberger got to the AFC title game as a rookie quarterback. Like, is it really incomprehensible that a rookie could win two more games than that? Like, that's so that's so astronomically out of the box. It's never happened before. It's not impossible. I'm just saying recent history, the modern NFL suggests like that's not happening as much. And, and I think it's, it, that's more important because you're you're talking about an era of football, Big Ben, where like, you know, running was more prevalent now for the most part, except, you know, maybe an anomaly kind of game. Like you mentioned with Jimmy G, uh, where he's uh, throwing uh, eight, eight passes in a game. I mean, you have to pass to win. It's, it's more it's a passing league more than ever. And I just think the onus and look. It's not about just year one. I, I don't want to get lost in this. I don't want to say like the 49ers have to like have to win in year one to make this. No, I think it's the right move for the long term, too. I just think potentially it could push them back a little bit this year. Um, not necessarily, but potentially. But uh, stats talking about Jimmy G. I already know your opinion on this. I'm asking you for the benefit of the listeners, I suppose. You you don't want him on the team anymore. You don't think he's going to be on the team anymore. No, there is no reason that you could give me for Jimmy Garoppolo to be on the team. I, I went through it on Niners Nation. I did a podcast because people on Twitter were coming at me like torches and pitchforks, like defending Jimmy Garoppolo and trying to explain to me why he needs to be on the team. Give me the reason that he needs to be on the team and I will tell you why you're wrong. The 49ers ownership came out basically and said he they want to keep him, right? Not that that means anything, because if you if you wanted to trade Jimmy G, that's what you would say. You would not say we're, we want to trade him. You would say we want to keep him because then other teams have to be like, well, uh, we want him, but uh, we're not going to give you anything because we know you kind of just want to get rid of him. Like that's how leverage works. So what do you think the 49ers could even get for him? And what would so you'd be willing to part with him for anything then? Yeah, I, I don't think he should be on the team. I think it, it hurts the team if he's on it next year. The, the tricky part is I don't think any team wants to pay him $26 million next year. So if they're going to trade him, he's going to have to agree to take a lower contract, which if you're Jimmy Garoppolo would say no, refuse to do that, just cut me, and then I get to pick my team. Um, so that that's where it's dicey, but I just don't think he should be on the, the roster. I think the most they could get back for him is a fourth-round pick. It just, like... You don't give up the incredible amount of capital the 49ers gave up, three first-round picks and a third-round pick, to have him not start right away. Like that does, Especially when it's not like you could say, well, we'll play Jimmy Garoppolo for eight games and then we'll put the rookie in. Garoppolo got hurt in week two last year. He could be hurt in the first quarter of the first game with his injury history, so you're not even getting that supposed benefit that you think of keeping Jimmy Garoppolo on the team. If you get rid of him, you give him all the snaps to the rookie. He gets as much experience as he could get. Maybe you get a draft pick back. But even if you cut him, 
you get $24 million in cap room, BLG. Like what, what is the reason to keep Jimmy G, especially when it's not like he's a stud, like nobody even thinks he's that good of a quarterback. So to me, it just doesn't make any sense at all to stay stuck in this, in this neutral area here. You obviously saw a need to upgrade a quarterback. The 49ers flat out said it yesterday. We needed to make the position stronger. So then make it stronger. It doesn't get any stronger if, if the guy you're taking is on the bench. So you don't like the argument that, you know, it should be like the best man wins. Like they go into training camp and they compete. And let's say, you know, the rookie doesn't look good just because, you know, he's a rookie. And you know, sometimes you get, they can be slow in the uptake. You don't know. Um, but you just want to go all in and hand him the job. And I guess that's what the people who do want to see Jimmy G back, like that's what they're kind of guarding against. And then even what I just said about like rookies historically not winning in the playoffs. Now, I don't think Jimmy G is the guy like, you should keep just because of that. But I guess like that's the uneasiness that comes in. Like there's a security blanket factor with with Garoppolo that people like, and you just don't see any merit to that. But it's not a security blanket because number one, he can't stay healthy. So there's no security if you can't depend on him to be in there every week. And number two, even when he does play, he's he's not that good. Like he's not doing anything out there that another quarterback can't do. I think what what has sort of blinded people to this is the fact that the guys that have replaced him, Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, have been so horrible. Think about it this way. Think about, remember the Rams when Jared Goff got hurt and John Wofford came in and we were like, hey, he's he's moving the offense a little bit. Like, he looks pretty good. I think that was eye-opening for a lot of people, number one, because it's like they don't need Jared Goff. And number two, for Sean McVay, it's like, oh, this is what life would be like without him. And I think that kind of cemented in his mind, like, hey, we got to get rid of Goff. We got to pull the trigger. Like, we could do some things with another guy. The 49ers haven't had that because Mullins and Beathard have been so putrid in there. So it's distorting people's picture of Jimmy Garoppolo. It's making them think that he is some sort of security blanket, that he is a lot better than he is, when in reality, he's still a pumpkin. Do you have any landing spots in mind that make sense for Jimmy G? Is there anything that, I mean, obviously the Patriots have jumped out, but I think I've seen some things that have been like, actually the Patriots really don't want him back. Is there any other team out there that stands out that would like, would even make sense, even if to to you, just, you know, being familiar with him that like logically fits. Yeah. The Patriots clearly are number one. I think the bears are possible because like Andy Dalton, really that he's QB one stats. They said it. (laughs) stupidest i mean the bats the bears being the bears so and and also jimmy's from the chicago area so there's that sort of angle which i think is overplayed but it's a you know you throw it in there um but there aren't like i don't think a ton of teams breaking the door down to get him because as we said i think they know what he is um i know carolina desperately wants a quarterback but to me they don't want you know 30 year old jimmy garoppolo they want a young guy to sort of build around there aren't a ton of spots the only other possible place maybe is Denver? I was just gonna but, say Denver. Yeah, but I know John Elway. I know he's not the GM, but he's still there. He still has influence. They they tend to like the really big quarterbacks, and Jimmy's he's not short by any means, but he's not a giant either. So I don't know that he fits their mold. But there aren't a ton of landing spots. Or maybe the Texans. What about the Texans? If uh, this Deshaun Watson thing goes awry, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with that. And they have uh, Terod in there. They signed him, but like, what if they want a guy's? I'm guessing a little bit younger. Maybe they're, maybe they're desperate. And uh, Casario's there, right? That is the, that's the only part of it that I think would be interesting is he drafted Jimmy Garoppolo in New England. So maybe he sort of 
still has a, a shine on Jimmy Garoppolo that other places don't have. It's possible for sure. I mean, this Deshaun Watson thing is we don't know what's going to happen. He could be placed on the commissioner's exempt list. We we have no idea what's going to happen with that scenario. And if he if he did get placed on that list, they would need another quarterback for sure. Um, and so maybe that's an argument to to hang on to Jimmy, but I don't know if you can bank on that if you're the Niners. I just I don't think you want this swirling vortex of quarterback controversy if you're Kyle Shanahan and the Niners. I think you just put your foot on the gas and go. I want to talk about Mac Jones for a little bit stats because that's come up a lot. You, you mm-hmm. talked about, you know, you think Justin Fields is the guy. I think that's pretty possible. But the Mac Jones stuff is like more like it's not just total like stuff coming out of nowhere these are like legit it's like chris sims right like he's saying it and he's like he's what a matching tattoo with kyle shannon like (laughs) these are people who like they're legit people are saying this like it it seems like it's feasible it's not totally insane i wonder stats and now look i'm not mr benjamin solak over here and but i say what i what i mean but when i say that is like i'm not mr uh the draft network you know I'm i'm like grinding the tape and all these college kids but I almost wonder from afar, and I know Kyle Posey has talked about this. He talked about this with you on the reaction show. He said there's like a Mac Jones in every class. And I get what he's saying from a skill point. But like when you look at the profile of a player who's coming off a season where he completed 77.4% of his passes for 4,500 yards, 41 touchdowns, four interceptions, Alabama going undefeated en route to blowing <laughs> out Ohio State the Justin Fields in the champ national championship game. Like, are we maybe sleeping on that guy a little bit and looking at it further? Uh, Cause I was looking at this back when there was some talk that the Eagles could take Mac Jones at six. And I, I said at the time, I have a hard time believing Mac Jones is like the best player available at number six. But I, I just wonder like if I, I feel like he's almost talked about like, it's insane that he's even like, in the first round at all. And this is a guy who ended up with the highest PFF grade that PFF has ever handed out to a quarterback prospect, including ahead of Joe Burrow in 2020, uh, you know, as the number one overall pick. And they actually did a comparison pro football focus did of like uh, Burrow and Jones in a number of key passing metrics and Jones is better. And there's also another article about how Jones is a superior prospect and Jalen Waddle actually said as much too uh, mm-hmm. that Jones is better than Tua, who went number five overall last year to the Dolphins with uh, an injury. With an injury, so I just wonder, like, if Mac Jones is being slept on a little bit. I mean, if you're Mac Jones, you laid it out there perfectly. Like, you got to be like, what more do I have to do? Right? Like, how could I have been any better? You know, and it's sort of like we're knocking him for a skill he doesn't possess, which in a way is kind of not fair, right? Like, yeah, I'm not a runner. But you know what I'm not doing? I'm not trying to run around. I know I can't do it. So instead, I'm sitting in the pocket. I'm dropping dimes all over the field. I'm not losing games. And I'm we're putting up huge numbers. Like, he has done everything that he needs to do. Uh, I just, I kind of agree with KP. Like, there is a difference between that guy and a player that can thrive outside of structure. That's the difference, I feel like, that people always feel like the ceiling is higher on a guy that can thrive outside of structure. Plus, I wonder in the back of these GMs' minds if it's like, hey, you know what would be great? Let's have a quarterback that can kind of get it done, even if I screw up some of these Mm -hmm. other picks. Maybe I don't take the best wide receiver, or some of the offensive linemen are really not that good. Or like in the 49ers' case, we have a right tackle in Mike McGlinchey that is one of the best 
run blockers in the entire league, but couldn't block me trying to rush the quarterback. Like he can, a, a good quarterback can compensate for that kind of thing or allow you to keep Mike McGlinchey on your team because even if a couple rushers get through, he's going to make a move and, and not get sacked. It's not going to crush your drive. So I wonder if that's part of it. But you laid it out for Mac Jones. Like he has done all he can do. And if guys don't take him, that can't be his fault. Yeah, I get the whole argument too about the dynamicism, dynamic assism. I don't know. That's one of those words. Someone else figure it out. Uh, I get it. I I just wonder if he's being a little bit like slept on, a little underrated because of um, not having that. I mean, I've seen Milk Hyper. I've seen, I think, Tua talked about like how they see Tom Brady in him. And obviously that's a ridiculous comparison in terms of (laughs) you can't bet on someone being Tom Brady because that's just only one Tom Brady. But I see it in terms of stylistically, just how he's like dropping back in the pack in the pocket. The repetitive accuracy is always there. I just I like Mac Jones a little bit. Um, so I don't think it's, I, I, I don't, it's not unthinkable to me that the 49ers could draft him. I, I don't think again, I think it comes down to is he really the third best player in this class? No, I don't think he is. So I don't love that. But uh, what were you going to say? Well, my thing is, and I've said this on Twitter to people because I see there's so many people on Twitter saying, oh, I'm going to do this if the 49ers take Mac Jones. I'm going to break this. I'm going to throw my TV out the window. Like, stop with that. If you think that Kyle Shanahan is as good of an offensive coach as some people think he is, if you think he's this wizard, which I do, then trust him to pick the quarterback. Like, trust him that he's going to find a guy that he can win with. Because, by the way, it doesn't even matter he could take Mac Jones and Mac Jones could be the third best quarterback in the class. Like Fields and Lance and all and Wilson could be better than him. And the 49ers could still win and still win Super Bowls. Like how many times does the best quarterback win the Super Bowl? We've seen a lot of times like the guy that has the best year doesn't win the Super Bowl. I don't I think the passing yardage leader hasn't won in like 12 years, something like that. You need a guy that they can win with. And it, even if he's not the best guy in the class, like have faith in whoever they pick that they're going to be able to do well. Don't freak out because you, I mean, how many people talking about this on Twitter really know BLG that Mac Jones is not better than Justin Fields or Trey Lance? None of them. The regular season MVP hasn't won the Super Bowl in forever either. (laughs) Right. Like that's what I'm saying. So like, even if he's not the best player, like if they can win with him, that's all you need. Don't freak out about it. Have faith in your guy instead of getting mad months before the dude even takes a snap. So whoever they pick, I am on board with. But if the Eagles take him, then you can freak out because do not have trust in them. Do not have faith in them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I I have been disillusioned with regimes before. So I have been where you – I mean, you're talking to a guy that had Jim Tom Sula as his head coach after Jim Harbaugh and Chip wow. Kelly. Like, I have stood where you stand, my friend. So I know what that's like. But I, you just – you're going to have a more pleasant experience if you at least wait to get angry about it until the picks are made. Now you should be happy because you have nothing but hope now. Hopefully. Hopefully there's hope. I, I will rescue you. I will pull you out of the doldrums of your depression. If you're kicking and screaming, I will drag you out of it. Let me ask you this really quick before we go. Is there one player the Eagles could draft at 12 where you would be like, yes, they did it. Like that would kind of restore your faith in them. Good question, Stats. Um, so we're going realistically, of course, and I don't think Chase is going to be there. There's some people who think he can. Uh, I don't think he can. I think the person who I want the most is Devontae Smith. I think it's just such an obvious pick. I almost 
I don't know if I remember if I said it here. I think I might have said it on BGN Radio. Is like I feel like he's this year's Justin Jefferson. Not exactly the same kind of player, but just in terms of ultimately being like a dog, like just guy who wants to go out there and dominate and compete, like doesn't care about anything else except like going out there on the field and just winning. Like that's that's all he cares about. See, so he eats. Breathes, sleeps, dreams, everything. Um, and I mean, just look at the production. He's the Heisman last year. Like, it's just, it just seems like a no brainer. I don't even know for sure if he'll make it to 12. He might because of the weight concern and everything. But to me, that's just a guy that is such a no brainer. I just have doubts about the Eagles potentially taking even a wide receiver at all. I think Waddle could also be in play there because they're, look, this is a build through the trenches kind of regime. They love offensive line, defensive line. So I think that's, that might be where they go. And I think in general, that's a sound theory, but I think for, again, a regime, as I talked about earlier, that cannot evaluate, that cannot draft and develop wide receiver. I would like for them to kind of just take a guy early. Cause I think that's their best hope of actually doing that. And that was to go back to number six, moving down from that. That's part of the reason against that trade is like, they've been so bad at doing this at wide receiver, just get the guy. This, I mean, you're getting the second best non quarterback, uh, and it could potentially be Chase. We'll see if he goes to five or not. And now there's a less of a chance that they're going to get that top guy. They could be getting the third best receiver instead of potentially the first. So, so possible to hit on that guy again. I would love Smith. Uh, I'd be very excited about that. So, so hopefully that's the guy. All right. Well, I hope it happens for you because I, I want to see a happy Brandon Lee guy. Not not this like the sky is falling, doom and gloom, nothing matters guy. So hopefully that works out for you. Again, we want to remind you, rate, review and subscribe. We do appreciate it. Keep them coming. You've been great really since the week before the Super Bowl. So please keep it up and uh, we'll talk to you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.